opposition the early church faces that leads to this uh, decisive break with Judaism. So in chapter 6, we saw the internal and external pressures operating in the Christian community as it continued to grow in the face of of growing opposition as well. Uh, We split the chapter in two parts. The first part uh, looked at difficulties within the Jerusalem church. The diversity and increasing size of the needs within the church created problems that required greater organization and spiritual leadership among believers. Um, and it was, you know, this problem arose from a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The way the problem is eventually solved indicates that it may well have surfaced um, not just because of ethnic malice, but because of the lack of administrative organization caused by the community's rapid growth across diverse ethnic and linguistic lines. Um, And one of the things we noted is that the apostles, even though they are clearly powerful, do not hold all power to themselves, but seek to make the the church has all the human resources it needs with adequate authority to care for its own. They prioritize their role and delegate the responsibility by involving seven other spirit-filled men of good character as chosen by the Christian community. So that same growth that led to tensions within the church uh, and this newly expanded leadership led to the second part of chapter 6, which was a confrontation between Stephen with uh, this, um, particularly the synagogue of the freedmen. Um, One of the appointed seven, Stephen, is effective in preaching and healing acts that parallel the work of the apostles. A movement and reaction against Stephen arise among the Hellenist Jews, whom Stephen confounded with, quote, the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And because they were so confounded, uh, the Hellenists then instigated the people against Stephen, uh, brought false witnesses, uh, accusing him of defaming or blaspheming uh, Moses and God, uh, insulting the law and the temple. So they bring false witnesses, and Stephen's arrested and is brought before the Sanhedrin, And so this arrest sets the stage for what we get in chapter 7, where Stephen defends himself against the charges and uses the opportunity to go on the offensive against traditional interpretations of Judaism. Uh, His lengthy speech, which is, again, the longest uh, speech in the book of Acts, so bear with me today. (laughs) It's a long one. Um, Matthew's not in here. I was going to use a joke like, See, Stephen preached the longest sermon in the book of Acts, and then he was killed afterwards. So. That's bad. That's bad. The things that go through my mind. But he does. Uh, he, he gives this speech that um, rather than um, these earlier speeches we've seen, which provoke wonder, this one provokes outrage. Um, so, And that's one of the questions I want you to keep in mind as I read it to think, what is it that Stephen's saying here that produces such a vehement, violent response against him that it leads to his martyrdom, um, his death by stoning? Um, and this chapter is, is crucial. Again, this is a crucial turning point 
um, because up to this point, everything has been focused on what's going on in Jerusalem. Um, we'll see in the beginning of chapter 8 that uh, with Stephen's death unleashes widespread persecution against Christians, scattering them throughout Judea and Samaria. So we start seeing the gospel go forth, um, as, as uh, Luke had said it would in the beginning of Acts. So let me um, read chapter 7 for us, and then I'll, I'll pray and open our time of discussion together. So hear now the word of God, starting in uh, Acts chapter 7. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and inflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sands of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. 
He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire and a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Raphon, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the, Mount, yet the Most High does not dwell in a house made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, 
whom you have now betrayed and murdered, and you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask him to open it in our hearts. As we talk of it this morning, let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do give you praise and worship this day for your long history of good to your people, even as we see Stephen recount it in this chapter of of Acts, that you are a God who is faithful to your promises, promises you made to Abraham, that you uh, continued to unfold those promises, uh, even when the people rebelled and strayed and turned to other gods, even when the people rebelled against the people you sent to lead them and to speak for you. Truly, they weren't just rejecting the prophet, they were rejecting the God who sent them. And yet you were faithful to your promise, and you continued to work your will for the good of your people even when you brought your son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life that they could not live and to die a perfect sacrifice that they could not bring by their own hands to cover their sin. And we too are covered by that blood of Christ. Break our stubborn, stiff-necked ways. Expose our sin to us that we might trust in Christ more and more and that we might have the faith to proclaim him, even in the face of death. That even in the face of death, we might even pray for those who are killing us, that they too might know the mercy of God that we ourselves have received. Teach us now by your Holy Spirit. Instruct our hearts, but also instruct our wills, that we might not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. We pray these things in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Okay, so uh, at the end of chapter 6, false witnesses accused Stephen, stating, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these things so? So what we see is Stephen's response to this accusation This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. So how does Stephen's speech respond to the charges brought against him, or does it? Yeah, Rob. (laughs) Well, uh, 
a, a long, and if not catechism, a long history lesson. <laughs> Yeah, and even then, um, and, and as we think about this speech, this uh, of the speeches so far we've seen in Acts, this is the least Christological one. Like, you know, yeah, Peter was much more upfront, you know, that this man Jesus, whom you killed, salvation rests in him alone. Like, he's very explicit. Um, and Stephen is more, yeah, as you say, he's giving an orthodox, recounting of the entirety of, of God's relationship with Israel from Abraham all the way to um, the establishment of the temple. Yeah. And notice the, the way, like, um, you know, the way he's emphasizing his, his, the commonness of his faith with them. Like, throughout, he's using our um, like he's not saying yours and mine, it's it's ours. <laughs> yeah, so as he recounts his history, he's emphasizing certain things about it, and one of those things is the continued stiff-neckedness and rejection of God-sent leaders. Um, uh, good. Uh, I thought I saw a front. Oh, okay. Others? What? How, how, how would you say he responds to the charges brought against him? So he, he goes into a deep history lesson. <laughs> um, and it's not, you know, uh, like, does he really answer the question? Like, he, he doesn't respond like, no, I didn't say any of these things. He says presumably, the kind of things he's been saying and is letting them judge for himself. What else would you say about um, how this speech? He, he's in front of the high priest. Yeah, he, he was brought, um, they brought him before the council. So yeah, he's before the council and it's the high priest addressing him in a very similar way that, that um, they had done with Jesus. Yeah, you know, he gets a chance to respond, you know, it, just like we see Jesus, uh, you know, ask the question, like, are you the king of Jews? You know, like they're, they're asking him to, did you say you were going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days? Yes. So it, it starts as a court case and it ends in a lynch mob. Uh, might be the best way to think about it. Jay, you saw your hand first.
Yeah, and in many ways, it's it's what um, you know. He he's emphasizing by the power of the Spirit, you know, that this is a work of God. This is not a you know. He's not saying he's been doing signs and wonders because of his power. It's because of the Spirit of God at work in him, and it's bookended with the Spirit. It's also bookended with the glory of God. Um, you know, notice brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, and then when he gets to the end, um, you know, he says, he, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. So, you know, the glory of God that um, made its appearance uh, to Abraham, it has made its appearance now to Stephen in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, and it's and notice when he's making the accusation, he, you know, as as Rob said, he's not saying something new. This isn't a new accusation. Like this is this is old news. Like they have in their tradition that they sawed Isaiah in half, <laughs> that they killed Jeremiah. Like there are all these um, you know extra biblical stories in their midst. They know full well that the prophets died at their own hands. So by making the accusation, um, which again, the, the case he's doing, he's not bringing in new information. Um, he's not basing it on, you know, uh, on scriptures that they don't recognize. He's not basing it on the words of Jesus. Um, he is using straight Old Testament to convict them of the fact that just as they had rejected the prophets in the past, um, and that had been a pattern in the history of Israel, so too they've rejected the, the message of God. They've been stiff-necked. They haven't uh, opened their ears to hear the word of God's prophet, a prophet like Moses, uh, Jesus Christ. Because they, didn't, they don't want to hear. <laughs> they don't want to be convicted of their sin. It's like the same re way we don't want to hear when someone tells us we've done something wrong, even though if we know, yeah, we did it wrong, but we don't want to hear it. <laughs> we don't want our sin cast before us. Yeah, I mean, this is a discussion for another day. Like, I mean, because we have so many other ways of getting information that we, uh, our ability to receive things orally um, has declined dramatically. <laughs> In their culture, you know, the spoken word is the primary means of deliverance. Like, they don't, most people don't have 
scrolls read before them. So like they go to the synagogue and they have the scripture read out to them and they you know, read it so much that they start committing it to memory. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a culture that um, has greater tolerance for lengthy speeches than we do. Um, and that's, that's true for, um, yeah, that's true for all kinds of oral, oral cultures. Yeah, like I mean, in one sense, he's getting to, um, he he's getting to the point that you know, like you know, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You know, like he a, again, he's making this claim that the same glory that appeared to Abraham, the same glory that appeared to Moses, the same glory that that fell and descended upon the the temple, that same glory is has raised up. Jesus Christ and, and, and has ascended him to God's right hand, the seat of power and authority. That the prophet that they rejected, God has vindicated. And that's been a kind of con, um, a continued theme through all these speeches of both Peter's that we saw earlier um, and, and this one here. The theme that, yes, you rejected Jesus Christ, God vindicated him, and he is there for you um, to forgive your sins if you repent, you know, if you hear and obey and turn. Um, and he doesn't get to the call um, so much. Uh, you know, um, he, he's gotten to the point where he's convicting them and he doesn't get the, they don't let him get to the gracious offer, perhaps. <laughs> but I would imagine it based on the pattern of the prior sermons, that would have been next. Um, if we, you know, if he's following kind of a pattern that Peter had done, that he, you know, just as Peter had accused them of killing Jesus, um, you know, when he showed, when Peter, uh, when Peter showed up in front of the Sanhedrin, um, you know, the the Sanhedrin said, "You intend to bring this man's blood upon us," and Peter's like, "Yeah, <laughs> because we must obey God rather than men." Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. They would have done like we, like, you know, we're the good guys. Um, like, my, my kids once asked me, like, uh, I remember, because, you know, being a southerner, so, like, you know, uh, you know, would you have, you know, would, would you have owned slaves, or, you know, which side would you have fallen in the Civil War? And it's like, well, I mean, I'd like to say I, I would have done the right thing, but honestly, I would probably have been a product of my culture and done what everybody else does. Um, and, and I think that's, like, we, like, you know, uh, I, I want to look back and say, yeah, I, I'm on the right side of history, but mm, I, I, I would have, I probably wouldn't have been. And I think that's the same way we're supposed to look back. Like we, we're supposed to look back and see us as the stiff-necked people, 
you know, that we're the people who would have, you know, we would have rejected them too, um, even though, like, you know, we want to say, oh, no, we, we'd never do that, just as Peter's like, oh, no, I'd never deny you, Lord, and then he does it three times, right? Um, you know, we're sinners, um, and I, I would assume our, our default response would have been sin, um, unless God gave us the faith and the spirit to obey and listen, like he gives the spirit to Stephen. Like, it, I mean, as Jake said earlier, it's very clear that, that Stephen here is able to speak with such power, with such authority, because of the spirit. Um, and it, we saw the same thing with Peter earlier in, in the book, that it's the spirit that's giving them the wisdom and the power that enables them to speak truth power, and in this case, to powers who have wanted to kill the apostles earlier, but held back, and, and now the, um, as the crowd starts rejecting the gospel message, the crowd takes matters into its own hands. Yeah, um, but they were—they would have probably proceeded to, just as they did with Christ, proceed to turn him over to the authorities, um, labeling him, um, you know, at, probably would have painted him with some kind of rebellion. That you know, this this these group is trying to foment rebellion within Jerusalem, and they need to be executed. So I would assume by bringing, like, because they did express the desire earlier. They want to kill them. Only Gamaliel's counsel, you know, held them back, saying, no, let's just let it run its course. If it's of God, it will last. If it's of man, it'll end. Like, you know, we cut the leader off, and the rest of them will fall away. So if we cut the leader off, Jesus isn't there anymore. So these guys, leave them alone. If it's, it'll dissipate, because it's, if it's of, of man, it'll go the way of the things of man. If it's a God, Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Though we'll we'll see the uh, the Romans don't have a, a great view of new religious movements either. Though, um, you know, Judaism's tolerated because Judaism's an ancient faith. So they they respect things that are old. Um, true, but and becomes distinct from Judaism. So you know, because right now uh, in this stage, as long as it falls under the umbrella of Judaism, 
they'll be tolerated because, again, Judaism is an ancient faith. But the more it's identified as a new sect that's different from Judaism, oh, then all bets are off. Like they, these guys are inventing something, rabble rousers. Uh, you know, so that 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 takes time. It's going to take 30 years, but um, yeah, we'll see. The Roman state um, doesn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say. They have a, once Christianity becomes annoying, yeah, <laughs> take action. Yeah, and you start getting converts and, you know, even in the house of the emperor, like, you know, even of Caesar's household. Yeah, it gets annoying. Um, yeah, Jake. Right? Yeah, and they're they're stubbornly resisting the words of truth, like you know, as you alluded to in, in chapter six, like they could not with when 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 Stephen gets into it with the synagogue of the freedmen, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, so they had to you know come up with backhanded ways of accusing him and uh, you know bring him down another way because they can't do it, um, you know, with the with the scripture and. Um, there, there are words that pop up, like in, in his sermon that we've seen earlier. So the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. Um, earlier in uh, chapter 5, verse 17, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Um, so, you know, um, the way that Luke is narrating it, like Luke's making it very clear that the language that is used to describe the, the, the council and the high priest and the Sadducees is the same language that's showing up um, in, in Stephen's speech um, of how people treated uh, Joseph and Moses and the prophets in the past. You know, the language of jealousy, the, the language of stiff neck and being stubborn, um, refusing, to, refusing to hear, um, you know, uh, you stiff neck people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. I mean, that's just a great um, picture of this stubborn refusal um, to, to listen and this, this attention to outside things. You know, uh, you know, the charge that he's speaking against the temple, uh, that, you know, Stephen's like, yeah, the temple is there because God commanded it, but don't think that contains the entirety of God's presence. Like, it's, it's a tool. 
Um, the real presence is the way that God has been in the hearts of his people from Abraham to Joseph to when they're in the wilderness, before there's a tabernacle, before there's a temple. There's a God who is present with his people. And that is what we should be about, not what other, whatever outward manifestation of a house um, that might exist for a time. No, not directly. <laughs> well, I mean, he'd get... Yeah, so he's... Re- yeah, he doesn't t- attempt to explain, but he gives the message that he's been given. And, you know, is he speaking against the law? No. Uh, you know, is he speaking against the temple? Well, he's saying the temple, I mean, he doesn't say anything directly against the temple in the speech, but he does say the temple is a place made by hands. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Oh, what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Um, you know, so, you know, it, he's giving this, he's saying, yeah, you know, God gave instructions in the wilderness for constructing the tabernacle and then, like, gave um, Solomon the permission to build the temple. But don't mistake the temple for the presence of God. Um, don't mistake uh, the fact that uh, the temple's there as, as, you know, that's what makes you God's people. What makes you God's people is, is a heart um, that responds to God, a heart that does not reject God's spirit and message when it comes to you. Um, it's not the building. Um, it's not the physical structure. God's real dwelling place is um, is in heaven and in the hearts of his people. Um, all right, so let's get to uh, the nitty gritty. So, what at what point, you know, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Like what a, a, a great. You gotta love Luke and his his language. Like, what a great graphic picture of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but yeah. But this it's this. Uh, yeah. So what is it that that Stephen says that produces such a reaction? Um, because this is before. Like, we can see why they might get upset when he says. You know, I've seen the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Like, they're, like, you know, that's what pushes them over the edge. But even before that point, you know, they are enraged at him. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah.
Yeah, and, and we saw that last week with, like, you know, they're accusing him of, of violating the law of God, and they do it with false witnesses. <laughs> like, they're violating the law to bring the charge against him that he broke the law. Um, yeah, and Stephen seizes on that point. Like, you who received the law um, and did not keep it. Like, they're the ones, and, and, and again, this emphasis, it's not that the Christians are rejecting the God of Abraham and Jacob and the, of their fathers. It's they are rejecting that God and what he's been doing now. Rob, I thought you said Um, yeah, and the word that um, that they used um, in in chapter six, verse twelve, and they stirred up the people. Um, it's the language of like um, instigating, like you know, uh, you know they're kind of behind the scenes, like, saying things, getting people worked up. We kind of talked about this a little bit last week with when Ronnie mentioned kind of like how people get worked up about, you know, get enraged about what they're hearing um, without taking the time to investigate whether it's actually true or not. Um, but they hear something and, oh, like these kind of false stories that have been circulating a lot um, in the news, like, it's that kind of instigation, yeah. So there are people who are actively been working on turning the crowd against the Christian community. Um, and that's what, you know, this is the big change. Um, I noted it last week. It's the first time we see the crowd uh, act against Christians. Um, prior to chapter 6, we've seen uh, it's the leaders but the leaders are held back in what they do to the apostles because of fear of the people, like because the people are, are seeing the wonders and signs, they're seeing all these things that are being done, they're hearing the message, um, but the rejection comes when they start to be um, stirred up, uh, when you know, the well starts getting poisoned um, and people refuse to hear. Yeah, especially when the group is feeling uh, morally indignant. <laughs> um, and uh, as Cynthia said earlier, like, you know, they don't perceive themselves as being, you know, like, like those stiff-necked people in the past. Like, they're not putting themselves in that position. Um, they're not seeing themselves as people who are refusing to hear. Um, yeah, so, um, and so they feel... Uh, you know this this you know this moral compunction to take his life um, because they've 
been conditioned to view what he's saying as blasphemy when what he's saying is, is, is nothing new here. I mean, the only new bit we get is, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Everything else is boilerplate Old Testament survey and quotes from prophets. Um, you know, it's pretty, it should be pretty standard stuff, but it's standard stuff with this point, as Pastor Kerr noted. Like, it, you know, the point of his thing is that these people that are accusing him of violating the law are the ones themselves who have not kept it. Um, and their hope isn't in keeping it. Their hope isn't in the temple. Their hope is in the continued promise of God coming to it for fruition, even turning the hearts of rebellious and stiff-necked people back to him if they listen and respond. Um, others? Like, you know, why, why do you think they kill him? Yeah, Randy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and um, he doesn't elaborate it, but Peter does a little. Um, uh, if you look back in chapter 3, um, but you denied the Holy one and Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you, and then it goes down. He quotes the same verse. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Um, you know, this has been a, a, a theme um, in, in their preaching that Jesus is that prophet who is like a Moses, who's coming. And like Moses, um, you know, isn't just a prophet, but is also, you know, notice how... Um, uh, you know, in, in Stephen's description of Moses, he refers to him as a judge, as a ruler. Um, you know, Moses is more than a prophet. He's, he's also the one who you know, ruled over these people. And, and Jesus is like that, like, because he's the prophet, priest, and king. Um, uh, you know, um, but yeah, this, this theme um, that has been worked out through, you know, these kind of like, even though um, Stephen's ser sermon, again, isn't as explicitly Christological as Peter's was, he's still using the same, a lot of the same Old Testament passages to make his case um, and to emphasize that the righteous one um, that is at God's right hand is this prophet who was Moses prophesied about. All right, we're, we're almost out of time. Any uh, further thoughts before I close with some prayer? Um, so, um, you know, notice, uh, notice Stephen's reaction. Um, again, very similar to what we see um, with um, when, when Jesus is killed. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Um, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Like, I mean, because his hope for them is 
was the point of his sermon. Again, he's not rejecting Israel or the traditions of Israel or the people of Israel. He's saying the God of glory who appeared to our father Abraham has now appeared um, to us through his son Jesus Christ. And that is the hope um, that was promised to Abraham. That's the hope of this nation. Not fidelity to an external law, not fidelity to a physical place, but um, fidelity to this God of glory um, that revealed himself to people by his spirit. All right, so next week uh, we'll, we'll pause um, and have a missions report from Becky Campelli so, um, of her trip to East Asia. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Um, but in two weeks we'll come back um, and we'll see what happens after um, Stephen's uh, death by the hands of this angry mob and how that leads to this kind of next stage of the gospel going forth as it enters into Samaria. Um, and it's the irony, it's persecution of the church that leads the church to being scattered, which leads to more growth of the church. Um, so they're trying to bring it to an end um, by killing people like Stephen. And ironically, you know, as Luke tells the story, that's what contributing to the further spread and growth of this message. So let me pray quickly.